Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I'm sure you've had that experience before of having a brilliant idea and then, oh, you need something to write it down on, so you take the back of a napkin or you take an envelope and you jot it down. And if you've had that experience, then you are part of a long distinguished history of what's called back-of-the-envelope calculations. That somebody has a brilliant idea and they just need some place to write it down. A few examples, most of these people you've not heard of. Enrico Fermi, famous physicist, the, the order of magnitude calculation just on the back of, a, of an envelope. Uh, Charles Towns, this is a little closer to home. He was in a park when he first conceived of the laser, which has changed everything in our world, really. And so he sketched it out on the back of an envelope. Uh, some of you might know the name Pete Rozelle. He was commissioner of the NFL in 1966 on the back of a cocktail napkin, which none of you in this room knows what that looks like. Back of a cocktail napkin, he sketched out uh, the NFL's highest a reward, and that's the Vince Lombardi Trophy. A little closer to home, my wife and I, when we were choosing names for our youngest son, uh, we had, she was a school teacher, and being a school teacher perfectly ruins a lot of great names. Have you ever noticed that? And so uh, we were having our third child, and that's why we stopped having kids. We just ran out of names. So on the back of a, a napkin, we put down his name, Seth, and then Jerome was my dad's name, and Calvin is my mentor's name, and so we sketched out Seth, Jerome, Calvin, Spoo for the very first time, and then we promptly lost the napkin. We don't have any idea where it is, right? So there's these moments where you, you have this great insight, and some revolutionary concepts can be written down in a relatively compact space. So I want you to hold on to that idea for just a minute, because we're teaching through the Apostles' Creed, not because we're teaching the text of the Creed, but we're teaching the truths of the Creed, that if you call yourself a Christian, there are a lot of different things that Christians believe, but this is the core. This is the absolute essentials. Christians have been saying this and praying this all the way to about 150 years after Jesus. And so it starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that our foundational relationship beyond your spouse and your family and your job, our foundational relationship is with God the Father. And then I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, that our primary allegiance and our total loyalty belongs only to Him. But then notice as the creed continues how it descends down just as Philippians 2 did last week when we looked at it, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, crucified, died, buried, descended to the dead. He was really dead. That's what Philippians 2 says. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." And then, just when it can't go any lower, the creed starts to rise again. And the next three lines, a revolutionary concept in a relatively compact space, 
you could write these three lines on the back of a napkin. On the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Best way I can say this is the resurrection changes everything about everything. Think about that for just a moment. If, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything about everything. The way I look at me, the way I look at God, the way I look at the future, the way I look at eternity, the way I look at problems around me, it changes everything about everything. Now again, we're not studying the creed. We're looking at the truths of the creed. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 where we were last week. Philippians took on that same trajectory. Everything went down. And then just when things can't get lower, it comes back up again. Now, while you're turning to Philippians 2, just a quick thought experiment. Let's say the resurrection didn't happen. Let's say Jesus did not rise from the dead, that he was crucified, dead, buried, and that's where the story ends. If so, many, many things are true. Let me just mention four of them. If Christ was not raised, you and I are still stuck in sin. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says that exact thing, that you know what, all the guilt, all the bad things you've ever done, it's still on you, okay? And you have to bear that for the rest of your life, no hope of relief. Your sin is still on you. If Christ has not been raised, also there's no hope for you to be raised either. If he didn't come back from the dead, you won't either. Now, some of you might remember a few weeks ago, tragedy that happened, the Ocean Gate Titan sub went down to Spelunk around the Titanic, and that sub, it's believed, imploded. Now, just imagine the weight of the Eiffel Tower on every square inch of that sub. If you were to take a second and divide it into 1,000 parts, that sub imploded. It was crushed in one one-thousandth of a second. Now, just to put that in perspective, it takes you 125 milliseconds just to register a reflex. So, if you ever had something come out of the corner of your eye and you flinch, that's 125 milliseconds. For that to register in your thought, it takes about 150 milliseconds. So, that sub was imploded one millisecond. And one commentator said this. They didn't experience death as much as they experienced ceasing to exist. You're just there one moment and then gone. If there's no resurrection, that will ultimately be true for all of us. That we will die and our next thought will be nothing, nothing. If the resurrection didn't happen, you won't be raised either. Okay? Here's the third thing that's true. The resurrection didn't happen, Jesus isn't coming back. And what Martin Luther King Jr. said was false because what he said was, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. But if there is no judge, how can there be justice? So the arc of the universe will be long, but it will just end up where it ends up. Wrong will never be addressed, and right will not win if the resurrection did not happen. And finally, if the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus can be your hero, but he can't be your savior. So, the resurrection, if it did happen, and we are here today, if you wonder why Christians get together, 
because we actually believe that it did. Let's try that again. We're here together today because we believe it actually did. Amen. All right. That's what we, that's the core of what we believe because if the resurrection took place, it changes everything about everything, okay? I see you're fading on me, so let me do what I often do and pull out a baseball card. Get everyone's attention. There are baseball cards that are worth thousands of dollars. This is not one of them, all right? So this is uh, Glenn Burke. Just a quick uh, poll. Has anyone ever heard of Glenn Burke? Played for the Dodgers about four seasons in the late 70s. Anybody has heard of his name? Nobody. Didn't think so. Or either that or we don't raise our hands in a Baptist church. It's just a canon. I'm not allowed to do that, right? So Glenn Burke played. That wasn't very funny. I'll just keep moving on. Glenn Burke played four seasons with the Dodgers. When he was recruited out of high school, he was touted to be the next Willie Mays. Now, the reason you never heard of him is because he was just kind of a, an average player. I think his total lifetime batting average like 257. He, he just didn't excel very well. But Glenn Burke did do one thing. 1977, his teammate, Dusty Baker, hit his 30th home run. So as Dusty Baker's coming around third base, Glenn Burke runs out to congratulate him, and instead of doing a low five, which is what people did up to that time, you never think about somebody inventing the high five. This guy did. <laughs> Here comes Dusty Baker around third base. He just does this. Dusty Baker reads it, and they exchange, as far as we know, the very first high five. So two great things to come out of the 70s, the Bee Gees, <laughs> and the high five, right? So, so here, for Glenn Burke, this is fun, but he's forgettable. And guess what? He's been forgotten. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, he was good, but now he's gone. If the resurrection did not take place, he's good, but he's gone. That's why the resurrection changes everything about everything. So... Let's read Philippians 2 because the same hymn that Christians sang, probably a cappella with one another, not 20 years after Jesus was resurrected, they talked about how low Jesus would descend to rescue the least and the last and the lost. But then the direction changes, starting in verse 9 of Philippians 2. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it says here, and Paul believes the resurrection because he said Jesus comes up and is exalted. Actually, the, the word that's used there is super exalted. What does that mean for us? That we are to pay attention to this man. I don't know what's distracted you or what's discouraged you this week. Most of you are probably thinking about loved ones, who's in trouble, who has a need, obstacles in your own life. We get so frustrated and we get so fixated on other things in our life. What the resurrection says is, here is the person you need to give your total attention to. I know that's difficult in daily life. We get distracted by so many things. But right now, would you get rid of everything else and just for this moment, 
think only about Jesus, and we're going to walk through some, some things here in a minute that are worth us knowing, focus on Him. There's no one else we should give our attention to like this. So God exalted Him to the highest place, and then what did He do? He gave Him a name that is above every name. Now, names in the ancient world mean a little bit different than what they do in our world. And in our world, we're given a name, and it's just kind of an identifying marker. But names in the older world gave us a hint as to that person's character. And so, what we see, if you read further down Philippians 2, right there at the end of verse 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. Can we just walk through those names, which is really one name? Jesus. God came in human form. In fact, the name Joshua and Jesus is a very common name at that time, but it means God saves. God came in human form in a person named Jesus. In other words, Jesus is not an idea. He's an individual. Then Christ. Christ is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. So now there were three types of people who were anointed in the Older Testament, prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, they would tell you what God is saying straight up. It's exactly what Jesus does. He tells us the truth about God. Priest, a priest stands between you and God. He speaks to you on God's behalf and speaks to God on your behalf. That's what Jesus does. He is our only intermediary. I am not a priest. I don't have a white collar and I wouldn't look good in one. You have a pastor. We have a priest and that is Jesus. And then finally, he is king, which means he has absolute rule. Now, these titles are important. Jesus Christ, but that's not the name that Paul is talking about here. Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's where I'm going to pull out my whiteboard. I know this is not very fancy. I like not being very fancy. I also like it because this just allows me to, to point out something that is hard to explain in any other way. So we're going to learn three Hebrew words here this morning, okay? And you'll see where this is going in just a moment. The first is Adonai. Now, if you hear that, if you've been around the church long enough, you kind of hear that sounds familiar. Adonai is a word that would be used in ancient Hebrew that means my Lord. So not only would it be sacred when you talk about God, he would be Adonai, but also your boss, okay? The person in charge of the family, the person who you do business with, they would be my Lord. So it was both sacred and secular, very common word. And it was common in the Older Testament to refer to God as Adonai. But then, in Exodus 3, and those of you who are taking my class on Exodus on Wednesday night, we got to this part a few weeks ago where Moses meets God at the burning bush. And Moses says, God, I'm about to go down back and deal with Pharaoh, biggest name on the planet. If I go back, who should I say sent me? And God reveals for the first time his name, his character, Yahweh, 
Yehie, Asher, Yehie. I will be who I will be. I am who I am. I exist. I'm not only creator, I'm sustainer, I'm savior. I am. There's no way you can fully comprehend who I fully am. So Yahweh and uh, the ancient Hebrew didn't really have vowels. It would be consonants, and it would look something like this. Yahweh was a compression of that phrase. Now, that's God's name. I believe we should not fear using that name, but there is a little commandment. Well, not little. It made one of the Big Ten list. One of the Ten Commandments is never misuse God's name. Whatever you do, don't misuse the name of Yahweh. Quick note here. We think that forbids cursing in God's name. Now, while I do believe it's a good practice not to curse using God's name, it's not what that verse is talking about. That's not what that command means. It means don't misrepresent God. Can I give you an example of what that might look like? If you really want to get something done and you want to manipulate people in order to get your will done, if you say something like this, well, God told me that we need to dot, dot, dot. That's misusing God's name. That is using God's name in a way that he does not want his name to be used. But what the Hebrews did is they took this very literally. The best way not to use God's name in vain is just not to use it at all. So they didn't. They would write it, but they wouldn't speak it. So what did they do? They got very inventive here and say, we want to uh, not misuse the name, but we also want to respect the name. What's a good way to do that? So they created a hybrid. By the way, I had no idea this morning. So I put on this shirt just because it's a nice fall color shirt. It's got Texas orange and OU maroon in the two. Listen, it's a hybrid, right? I am all things to all people. You know what? And, and by the way, if football is your life, you have a sad life. Can I say that? Okay. That's a game. This is eternity right here. Okay. So the Hebrews got very inventive. Boy, I just trashed everyone who loves football, didn't I? Sometimes the truth hurts. So what they did with Adonai, they took the vows from Adonai and they inserted them into the name Yahweh. And what they created was a hybrid word that looks something like this. I'm going to hate my writing here later on. Take a minute to look at that. If you change the Y to a J, it might be easier. Jehovah. That's where we get the word I expected there to be a gasp in the room. There was no gasp whatsoever. Maybe you already know this. That's where we get the word Jehovah. And any time in the Older Testament you see the word Lord and it's kind of that all caps font, it's this word right here. So what does Paul do at the end of this hymn? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at this name, every knee will bow. That's the idea of submission. Every tongue will confess. It's the idea of boldness, that Jesus Christ is Jehovah, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God in flesh. That's the name we've been given. So Jesus changes everything about everything because in him, 
we see who God really is. And he's not just a God who interacted and did good things. He is a God who is alive today. So, let me roll this out of the way. This kind of begs two questions. What did Jesus do with this name? He was given this name that is above every name. What did Jesus do with this? Well, he ascended, and he right now is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. If you want to know what Jesus is doing right now, he's there representing humanity before God. The incarnation still continues, and specifically, here's what he's doing. He is praying for you. Romans 8 makes it clear that he intercedes for you and I. You might remember the old kitschy thing, the WWJD bracelets. You know, what would Jesus do? I think a better question to ask is what is Jesus doing? He is intervening and interceding for you right now. That's what he's doing because he's alive and well. Next question is this, what do we do with this? Jesus Christ has been given this name above every name. What do we do with this? Well, we are invited to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And whenever we do a baptism, that's the, probably the earliest Christian creed, was saying Jesus Christ is Lord, saying that He is Jehovah, He is God in the flesh. So today is, special, is a special day. Um, October 8th, 1978, 45 years ago today, I had the privilege of being baptized. And it was a moment, we lived in Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, New Mexico is not hell, but you can see hell from there. It's a rough place. In a little red rock church on a Sunday night, I was baptized, and I said those words, Jesus is Lord, me, and a little Navajo Indian girl, right? Did I fully understand everything? Did I understand all of this at that moment? No. But what I did understand is I wanted to go to heaven when I died, but now that I've matured a little bit more. And by the way, I still want to go to heaven when I die. It's a good thing. I've been to purgatory. It's called the Baptist business meeting, but that's, that's another, <laughs> another item. <laughs> You've been there too, some of you, right? I want to go to heaven when I die. But what I understand more now than I did then is when I come to God through Jesus Christ, it is about going to heaven, but it's more about coming home. Home. I invite you today to come home. You are made for a relationship with God. You'll never be pleased in anything or anyone else outside of Him. And what Philippians 2 teaches is not universal salvation, that everyone automatically is saved. It teaches universal lordship, that the reality is Jesus is Lord. Ruth Friesen was a missionary years and years ago, and uh, she was baptized by her grandfather in the infamous Krishna River in India. And she's a young girl being baptized by her grandfather. She gets in this water in southern India, and all the believers around her begin to clap, and she thinks it's because they're really excited about her baptism. Well, it turns out the reason they were clapping is to keep the crocodiles away. Can you imagine this? She's getting into the water, and the other believers are clapping, 
to create noise to keep the crocodiles away, and she said this, I didn't know what would pull me under first, the crocodiles or my grandfather. Yeah. So really, what excuse have you not to be baptized? <laughs> Can we own that? Think about this. The world will try everything it can to pull you under. Or you can surrender your life. And that's what baptism is. It's a whole body immersion. It's a whole soul immersion. All of our mind, all of our strength, everything. If you've never seen a baptism, in fact, you'll we'll see one here in just a, a few minutes in our corridor after this service. It is a symbol of the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And literally, His resurrection changes everything about everything. Let's stand together and let's pray with one another. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen.